This is Becoming Anti-Fragile with I.J. McCann. Each week I read a book and highlight the actionable wisdom within. To become anti-fragile, you must strengthen your mind and live with conviction. Let's get into it. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is an excerpt from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs contains hundreds of precepts on all areas of life, marriage, work, friendship, forgiveness, debt, justice, self-control, generosity, character, and mindset. And the book of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon. And the purpose of Proverbs historically is to help the reader develop wisdom. The word wisdom in Hebrew is chokmah, which basically means practical wisdom. And it's often attributed to craftsmen. And craftsmen are people who have this sort of action-oriented applied knowledge. Whereas in our day and age, when you think of the word wisdom, often it, you think of something abstract like knowledge, knowledge acquisition. The whole point of Proverbs is the idea that the acquisition of knowledge is not wisdom. It, wisdom is when you apply the knowledge into your life, into becoming better into learning how to control yourself into becoming more generous you know into cultivating better friendships and that is i think one of the most interesting things about reading proverbs now and brief background on proverbs the other thing is proverbs is part of a series of three books known as the wisdom literature which is which is proverbs ecclesiastes and job each of them dive into different aspects of life So Job, for example, Job is about pain and suffering and suffering tragedy. For me, I reread Job, I'm not sure how many times, years ago when I was in the middle of dealing with my own suffering. Because with Job, you have a man who's a just man, who's a good man, but he loses everything. He loses his family, his children, his wife, his friends come. His friends end up blaming him for the tragedy that he suffers. He suffers physical ailment. You know, and after losing all of it, he still refuses to curse God. And in Job, what you see is a man suffering unjustly, but a man who rises above the suffering and becomes virtuous. He suffers virtuously. And that is something that we've talked about in the episode of Epictetus. One of Epictetus' point is that when you suffer, you have to transcend that suffering by rising above it. Because in so doing, the suffering becomes a vehicle for you to become better. Now, in the midst of suffering, this is never, ever that easy, right? It's much easier to say this than than to practice it. And I know this for a fact because, you know, when I was reading Job and I was thinking about all these things, I was thinking about how does it make sense that if the suffering that I'm going through was that for my benefit somehow, that my child would have to die on my behalf so that I could be a better man, right? That doesn't make sense to me. And it didn't make sense to me. And it still doesn't make sense to me why that had to happen. However, I'm at peace with what has taken place. But in the moment of your suffering, it is very difficult to come to that conclusion. It's very difficult 
to be at peace with that. And you don't necessarily have to be at peace with it at that point. The process of healing from suffering, it just takes time. It just takes time. So going back to Proverbs, Proverbs is wisdom on life, as I mentioned earlier. It's precepts on all these areas of your life. It is the first of these three wisdom literature. And the reason I picked up Proverbs for this episode is because I felt that it was consistent with all the other books that we've been doing. Specifically, the Dhammapada by the Buddha, Epictetus, the manual that we did. Arnold, in his late 70s, giving his wisdom in his book, Be Useful, which is the other episode we did. I felt that Proverbs flowed quite well with these other books that we've just studied. And I think Proverbs is applicable and should be read by everybody. I've recommended Proverbs to friends who are not religious because we're all on different parts of this path we call life. But we are all united in overcoming our lower self to master our desires, to not be slaves to our uncontrolled passions and emotions, to practice good habits, to love others as ourselves, to not blame others, but to take responsibility for our lives and to live action-oriented lives and to apply the knowledge that we learn, to be wise. Since we're on that path, the book of Proverbs, I think, makes a ton of sense to, to read. I grew up reading the book of Proverbs, and when, when you're young and reading book of Proverbs, Sometimes that just doesn't make sense. It's like it can feel esoteric at times when wisdom and folly are personified and are speaking to you. So that leads us into this idea of wisdom. Right? Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is known as Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom is out on the streets calling people to come to her, to learn from her. And wisdom is portrayed as something that has been there from the very beginning of time. Wisdom is what the author says God used to create the universe. She's stitched into the fabric of reality. Wisdom is everywhere. It pervades everything. And this wisdom is what calls out to you to learn from her, this lady wisdom. So in Proverbs 8.22 to 31, it says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or his fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So wisdom is establishing this idea that she has always been here, has always been here from the beginning. And why this is important is because wisdom is set in direct contrast to this woman known as the temptress. And the temptress stands for folly, for foolishness, for stupidity, for uncontrolled passions. The temptress in the book of Proverbs is the one on the streets offering you everything that your heart desires without constraint. She offers you the shortcut to everything. Right? If you want fame, if you want money, if you want power, you can have all of these things. But to get there, you have to 
take the temptress's offer and she gives you a wager. And if you remember the episode from the Dhammapada, when the Buddha is about to attain his nirvana, what ends up happening is the evil one appears to him and he sends his daughters after him. And he sends his daughter to tempt him away from his meditation and offers him a wager. He says, look, you can have everything you want. All you have to do is leave this Bodhi tree and go back to your kingdom and you will have it. I'll give it all to you. But the Buddha, like a wise man, says no. And it's the same thing that we see in the book of Proverbs where folly stands on the streets just like Lady Wisdom and she calls to, to people to come to her, to take her offer, to lie in bed with her. And the thing with the temptress is she doesn't care about you or about your soul, about ultimately about the health of you. When you accept her offer, she will lead you down a path of destruction. And this path of destruction manifests in many, many different ways. It can manifest in through addictions. It can manifest in the breaking down of your relationships. It can manifest in your uncaring nature, in the mediocrity of it all. She is also the unquenching lust for power and status that you have. She is that thing. She will she will appear to you in whatever form that is your weakest, that part of you that you have not overcome yet. And she will appear to you in as many forms, as many times until either she takes you or you defeat her. So it says in Proverbs 6, for this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light and the correction and instruction are the way to life, keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No man who touches her will go unpunished. Now, you can't take this literally, of course, because you should not be sleeping with other people's wives. However, the important thing here is your neighbor's wife here stands for your uncontrolled desires, your uncontrolled base desires that are always creeping up to the front, always wanting more than it can have always desiring the thing that you know is not good for you. And so what Proverbs is saying here is, how can a man scoop fire into his lap without burning his clothes? How can you desire all these things and seek after it and get it and not destroy yourself in the process of doing this? And one of the notes that I made here is that what you're fighting is your lower man, right? The temptress manifests all the desires of your lower man. And you must slay your lower man. You must overcome that lower man because if you don't overcome that lower man, you will lead yourself down a path of destruction. And the lower man to me is the Minotaur. If you remember, the Minotaur is a half man, half bull monster that lives in the labyrinth. And the Minotaur kills men over and over and over again. And to me, the Minotaur is your lower man. If you're not careful, the, the lust that you have for power, for money, for fame, for status, for whatever it is, it will just continue to get stronger and stronger until the Minotaur escapes the labyrinth. So you have to go into the labyrinth and slay the Minotaur just as Theseus did. But to slay the Minotaur is one thing. Once you slay the Minotaur, you have to find your way back out of the maze. And that is where 
wisdom is crucial. So with Theseus, when he goes into the labyrinth, Eridni gives Theseus a ball of string that he uses to trace his path back out of the labyrinth. So similarly, you need wisdom to guide you out of the darkness of folly once you've slain folly, once you've killed the lower man, once you've overcome the lower man, you need wisdom to, to pull yourself out of it. Otherwise, you will end up becoming the Minotaur itself if you stay in the labyrinth for too long because the wisdom is light and the labyrinth is darkness. And so from Proverbs, I quote, Wisdom will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. As the day was fading, as the dark of the night set in, then came out a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with a crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfill my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierced his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. That is a powerful, powerful passage from Proverbs. Because what you're getting here is this idea that if you do not slay the temptress, if you do not overcome the temptress, she will lead you down a path to your destruction. And she will seduce you in every single way possible. And every turn, if you do not have the characters, if wisdom is not guiding you, you will succumb to her powers because the temptress is ultimately extremely powerful. The more you deny her, the more powerful she gets. This is the thing, right? To overcome the temptress, you have to understand, one, first of all, who you are, where your weaknesses lie, and understand that to defeat her, you must overcome the temptations that she offers before your eyes. But if wisdom is not guiding you, if you don't have wisdom, then you don't know that the temptress is the temptress, that you, you end up thinking that the temptress is exactly what it is that you want because she offers you all the desires of your heart. And so in the beginning of Proverbs, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And this is the interesting about Proverbs. The excerpt that we read said, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But here in Proverbs 4, 7, it says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. 
Because the focus of Proverbs is not actually the worship of God. When you read through it, the Lord, the phrase appears multiple, multiple times. And often it's just, but the focus of Proverbs is not about worshiping God. Focus of Proverbs is getting wisdom. Because wisdom is that which, according to Lady Wisdom, has been in existence from the beginning of time. And so when you get wisdom, you're essentially tapping into the knowledge of God. You're tapping into the divine. And this is why I recommend this book, regardless of somebody's religious status. Because if you truly seek wisdom, if you truly are after wisdom and are after truth, you don't discriminate where wisdom is found. And that's why when I'm doing this, I will read books from every single tradition so long as there is wisdom in that and so long as we can learn something from it. And that's why we did Epictetus, then we did the Buddha, then we went Arnold, and we also did Leo Tolstoy. And now we're doing the book of Proverbs, a wisdom literature in the Bible. Well, that's the beauty of wisdom. It does not discriminate. And just as truth, nobody has a monopoly on truth. Nobody has a monopoly on wisdom. And so this quote, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Because wisdom is stitched into the fabric of reality. When you understand this, it helps you see that you are part of the universe, not separate from the universe. And the goal is once you see this, you will be able to live much better in this world because you see that you are part of something much grander than yourself. So the full thing reads, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding, cherish her, and she will exalt you, embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. And the point here is to get wisdom is not like going out and buying a TV or buying something cheap. Wisdom takes time. Wisdom takes patience. To gain wisdom is to live a lifetime. And so when it says, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Because when you get understanding, you realize that you can get everything back. And so if I bring back the example of Job, which I think I'm going to have to do an episode on sometime. With Job, Job had wisdom. And so even though he lost everything, his family, his possessions, his land, his friends, he was able to get everything back. Plus, according to it, he was blessed double fold. So he got twice as much back. But that's because Job had wisdom. And one quick note to make here is Proverbs, when you read it, the precepts and the and, and the aphorisms sometimes read as if there's a direct cause and effect relationships. But I think it's better to understand it as a probability. So, for example, it'll say something like, if you have wisdom, then you will live a long, prosperous life. If you do wicked acts, then you will have a short life. But we, you and I both know this is not the case. There are people who are wise, who are good, that live very short lives. And there are people who do evil acts, who are wicked in their hearts, who whose whole purpose is to mislead people, to destroy their lives, but they live very long, prosperous lives. And so the book of Proverbs should not be understood as a, as a cause and effect book, but more as a probability book. That if you do these things, if you gain wisdom, if you cherish understanding, then it's likely that you will live a life that is honorable, that you will live a life that is full of love. I think that's the way to understand the book of Proverbs. But the thing is, according to Proverbs, Fools hate wisdom. Lady folly tricks people into believing that wisdom is useless. In Proverbs 18.2, it says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And these are, according to Proverbs, people who refuse to learn, people who refuse to learn from their mistakes, who refuse to take 
corrections who refuse to integrate knowledge into their life and be and to live an action-oriented life. And we want to avoid being fools. We want to avoid thinking that we know everything, thinking that there is nothing left to learn. And that's why Proverbs says, for wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Meaning any of the things that Lady Folly offers you, whether that's fame, whether that's power, whether that's sack, whatever it is, wisdom is more precious than rubies. So the full thing reads, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. And the point is, once you realize the value of wisdom, once you start to gain wisdom, you see that it is not a short-term play. It's not a one-time play like gambling and winning that one time and never winning again. No, the wisdom is a long-term play. Wisdom is something that you do over and over and over again. It's something that you acquire and you keep on acquiring. It never, never ends. And that's why traditionally there's this idea that if you have silver hair, meaning you have white hair, you're considered wise. Now, obviously, that's not always the case. You can have silver hair, you can be old. It doesn't mean that you're wise. So what is the path to wisdom? One of the most important things in the journey to gaining wisdom is self-control. So Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And then it goes on to say, do not envy the wicked, do not desire their company for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And I made a note here because it reminds me of something that Marcus Aurelius says. And the quote goes, For the mind, freed of passion, is like a fortress, and there is nothing more secure in which to retreat and to find unceasing sanctuary. And the idea is very similar because the point is, your mind, once it's gained wisdom, it's built a house on the rock it's built a house that is firm that is established so when something happens you can retreat to your mind you, you can retreat to wisdom and find that unceasing peace unceasing sanctuary that really talks about and in proverbs it's the south that you've built through wisdom is filled with rare and beautiful treasures because in it you can gain the insights of how to deal with situations how to go about difficult situations that, that will come up throughout your lifetime and so Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream, meaning that there is much power behind gaining wisdom. And then there's this, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrong. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. The wise stores up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. And I really like that line. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Because it reminds me of friends who, when you are spending time with them, fills you up it makes you happier it makes you want to pursue things with more tenacity uh, with more oomph behind it right and in that sense they are a fountain of life right they inspire you but then there are people who 
when you spend time with them, it's the opposite. There's hatred, there's gossip, they chatter too much. And there's a sense in which there's no discernment, there's no constraint into what they say. And oftentimes you can feel it when you leave that situation. At least I find that I have to do a sort of detox where I sit by myself and meditate and pray and just find a way to remove these sort of negative uneasiness that I have about it after the conversations. And so there's this great quote in Proverbs 17, 27, when it says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. I mean, that is, that is something, there are tons of similar aphorisms across different traditions where the suggestion is to speak less, listen more, to hold your tongue, even in difficult situations to be the master of your tongue because the tongue is what causes the most fights. The tongue is what often is considered the devil, right? An uncontrolled tongue is the devil. So Proverbs 18.21 goes on to say, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So on this path to wisdom, one of the most important things is hard work and diligence because, and Proverbs is filled with this. It says in Proverbs, one of the most important things on the path to gaining wisdom is this idea of hard work and diligence because in Proverbs, it appears over and over again. So in Proverbs 12, 24, it says the hand of the diligent will rule while the lazy will be put to forced labor. The idea here is you have to become action oriented when you gain understanding. There's a big difference between gaining knowledge and gaining wisdom. As I mentioned in the beginning, the idea of wisdom, at least in the wisdom literature, is that of somebody who's applying it in their lives, right? So there's a quote that I came across. There's a quote that I came across by this gentleman named Thomas Trainer. The last name is spelled T-R-A-H-E-R-N-E. And he says, that to have no principle or to live beside them is equally miserable. And that philosophers are not those who speak, but who do great things. And if you remember in the Dhammapada, the Buddha says there's a difference between a monk who memorizes the holy text. He might memorize the holy text, but if he doesn't act accordingly, that, per that monk is not a monk. And he compares that monk to a monk who hasn't memorized the holy text, but acts daily in accordance with the teaching of the holy text. He says that monk is more of a monk than the first one. The Buddha goes on to talk about a man who, he says, just wears normal clothes. He's not a monk, but he practices the teachings of the holy text. He says that man is more of a monk than a person who dons the yellow robe. The yellow robe is what monks wear within the tradition. And so, and I quote something from the Dhammapada. A heedless man, though he utters much of the canon, but does not act accordingly, is like unto a cowherd who counts the cattle of others. He is verily not a sharer of the fruit of the monastic life. Same thing here. You can see the similarity that's coming up between the Dhammapada and when you're reading Proverbs. The other similar comparison that I, as I'm reading through Proverbs, came across is this quote from Epictetus. At the end of the, of the manual, he says, we spend our time on the third topic. And the third topic is like abstraction, asking questions like, oh, what is truth? What is demonstration? And I'm continuing the quote. And all of our earnestness is about it. But we entirely neglect the first. And here the first is, he gives the example of the precept of don't lie. And I continue, therefore we lie, but the demonstration we ought not to lie, we already have. 
ready at hand. And what Epictetus is getting here is philosophers get caught up in abstract thought and forget that the purpose of philosophy is the love of wisdom and it is to apply these precepts into our lives. And one of the main points of walking on this path of wisdom, according to Proverbs, to Epictetus, to the Buddha, is that you must be action-oriented. In Proverbs 6, 6-11, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways to be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its fruit at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come to you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And then I'm going to continue with Proverbs 12, 27, 28. It says, The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. In the way of the righteousness, there is life along the path is immortality. That passage right there, where it says, In the way of the righteousness, there is life along the path is immortality. Wisdom. When you gain wisdom, you gain immortality. Not necessarily because you become immortal, but because when you gain wisdom, you realize that wisdom has existed from the beginning of time. And so to gain wisdom means to participate in the infinite in some small way. So wisdom plays an important role in the pursuit of responsibility, of discipline, of humility. In Proverbs twenty-one twenty-one, it says, Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And like I mentioned before, it's not a one for one, right? It's not a cause and effect. It's more of a probability that if you do pursue righteousness and love, then likely you will find life. You'll find the prosperity. You will find honor in this life. And near the end of Proverbs, there's a saying from King Lemuel. He basically remembers something that his mother taught him. And what his mother taught him was this. Son of my womb, listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be not for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. King Lemuel is basically lamenting right before this that he doesn't have wisdom, that he's a fool. But when he remembers what his mother taught him, he realizes that he has access to wisdom. He has access to this infinite knowledge. And so then... He might not be wise now, and he might be a fool according to him, but he's able to gain it. And that is the point of Proverbs. The point of Proverbs is that you don't have to be wise to read and understand Proverbs, but in reading and in understanding Proverbs and in applying the maxims, the aphorisms, you're on the path to wisdom. What's interesting here is King Lemuel's mother tells him that wine is not for kings, beer is not for kings, because if you drink beer, if you drink wine, you might forget what you've decreed. But... The underlying point that she's making is not that the wine and the beer itself was bad. It's the fact that what she's getting at is the overindulgence, is the inability to moderate. It's the inability to have self-control. Because if you drink one cup of wine, you're not going to forget anything. 
but it's in the act of not being able to control this, where you get drunk, where you lose your inhibition. And that's what she's trying to get at. She's trying to get at this, and she's trying to drill into King Lemuel that you must have self-control as a king. right? You must have this. Otherwise, you cannot rule, which is true. You don't want a king. You don't want any sort of ruler that has no self-control. And that is why people often are saddened by the fact that those who rule nations don't have this one important thing, which is self-control, which means they lack wisdom. Just on the point about alcohol, there's a growing movement called the sobriety movement, as the name speaks for itself. It's this idea of not drinking alcohol. But the underlying reason for doing all of this is because of the abuse of alcohol that's sort of prevalent in our society. And the people involved in this movement, which I think is it's a good movement as a general whole, but people jump into this movement because they realize that they've been abusing alcohol and therefore now to not abuse alcohol, they're going to go from one overindulgence to go from this extreme of overindulgence to the other extreme of becoming a teetotaler, right? Not drinking alcohol at all, being sober. And it's celebrated and as it should be. But the problem I see here is what King Lemuel's mother is trying to teach him. It is not alcohol itself that is the problem. Right? The problem is you. The problem is your lack of self-control. The problem is your lack of inability to moderate, to say no when you think you've had enough, and to have this terminology of enough in your vocabulary, and to be able to stick firm to it. So if you are in the sobriety movement, I give you all props, congrats. But I would push you one step further and say, before you deal with the sobriety, before you go from one extreme to the other, or if you're already in the process, make sure to work on your discipline. Because without discipline, uh, even if you go from being drunk in 2023 to not being drunk in 2024, you will always end up replacing your overindulgence with something else. Right? And that's not what we want to do. We want to live a life of harmony where what we desire and what is right align. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And then 25, 27 to 28, it says, It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out matters that are too deep. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And the point here is you must master yourself. The lower man must be slain. The minotaur must be slain just as Theseus slayed the minotaur. And you must, through wisdom, find your way back out of the labyrinth. Otherwise, you will become the lower man. You will become the minotaur itself. One repeating theme in Proverbs is this idea of patience, right? And, and of not being quick-tempered and of not being quick in tongue and in being able to control your tongue, right? So in, in Proverbs 14, 29, it says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but who but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And this idea of patience is built into the fabric of Proverbs because once you understand that wisdom is a lifelong process, you understand that this is a long-term play, a long-term thing that you do, not a short-term play. Once you gain understanding, you realize this is something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. And, and each time you gain understanding, the more you desire it and the more you realize it is far more precious to have wisdom to have any of the riches, to have gold, to have ruby. One of the points that Proverbs is making is be patient in all that you do, whether that's in your relationships, whether that's in your 
your dealings with strangers, your dealing with others, always have patience. There's a very interesting section in Proverbs, so Proverbs 5, where where you see most clearly the distinction between wisdom and folly, lady wisdom and lady folly. So uh, Proverbs 5, 2 to 6 is lady folly, and it says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as a gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. And then you compare this to just a few verses after, which is in verse 15 to 20. It goes on to say, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let them be yours alone never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? And obviously you can take this literally as it's written, but I think the deeper meaning here is this idea that the wayward woman, the adulteress, the, the demptress, though what she offers you is going to look incredibly enticing. And though the offer is almost irresistible, do not take her offer. Do not take her up on that offer, on the wager she places before you. Because it is a double-edged sword. It will go down to your death. Don't take it. Instead, be intoxicated with wisdom. Instead, be filled with the love of wisdom, where you're always returning to wisdom, just as you, if you're in love with your spouse, you are always returning to them, and you are not, you're not led astray by another. Just like that, Proverbs wants to emphasize that you have to remain faithful to wisdom. And Proverbs ends with one of the most beautiful passages, where it talks about the virtuous wife. So if you remember, Proverbs opens with personifying wisdom as a woman. And Proverbs ends that personification becoming real as a woman. And it's the words of King Lemuel's mother when she tells him what type of woman he should find. And it's one of the most beautiful passages. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it opens with, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil so we want to be making sure that we are seeking wisdom and applying that wisdom into our life into our daily lives whether that's a relationship whether it's the business that we're doing whether that's the work we're doing whatever it is that we're doing we have to do it well we do that well by applying wisdom into our life into how to do these things so the challenge for this week is one Practice self-control in both your speech and in the action. If you get upset, if you get mad, instead of lashing out, make sure to control it, to calm yourself down. Uh, the second thing is speak truth. Be honest. Don't shy from saying what you truly feel. And the third thing is to moderate your desires. To make sure that you are mastering yourself. Mastery only begins when discomfort begins. So if you know you have a habit that you're trying to overcome this year, say it's, because we talked about alcohol, say it's drinking too much alcohol on Friday nights, 
limit yourself to say two drinks, spread that two drinks throughout the night. It's difficult to go cold turkey on most things and it's much better to do it in small chunks. And this is one way of doing it. And the last thing, the last challenge is to spend, say, 10 minutes a day reading this week in our goal of seeking after knowledge and seeking after understanding. Spend 10 minutes a day reading, listening to an audiobook, listening to a podcast where you can learn something from it until you start to build a habit around it because it's that habit that you want to build because the habit that we're after is this long-term thinking. It's not this one-time thing that we're going to do and then not think about it again. It's doing it over and over again and slowly building up that muscle. And with that, I'm going to wrap. I highly recommend reading Proverbs. If you enjoyed Epictetus, if you've enjoyed the Dhammapada, then I'm almost certain that you will enjoy the book of Proverbs. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already reviewed this podcast on Apple or on Spotify, please do. And lastly, if you found something valuable, if this episode has sparked something in you, share it with a friend. And so, until next week, peace.